Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Adar Stacker, your co-host for Innovation and Duodenoscope Design. Over the next six episodes, Dr. Uzma Siddiqui and I will speak with leading experts on duodenoscope-related infections and explore how technological innovation is helping us to overcome this issue. In today's episode, I'll be sitting down with Dr. Shani Haugen, who is the Assistant Director for the Gastroenterology and Endoscopy Devices Team at the FDA Center for Devices and Radiological Health. She is a microbiologist by training and joined the FDA in 2009. In her current role, Dr. Haugen leads a team of reviewers who oversee the safety and effectiveness of a variety of gastroenterology and GI endoscopy medical devices. Since 2013, Dr. Haugen has been involved in addressing the concerns of infections associated with reprocessed duodenoscopes. Dr. Haugen, welcome. We're really grateful to have you join us as part of this series of podcasts that we'll be doing on innovation duodenoscope design. Just to get started before we jump into the real conversation, tell us a little bit about uh, your team at the FDA and, and what you're responsible for, or maybe a little bit in the process of what it takes to evaluate and, and bring these devices into more common use. Thank you for having me, first of all. I really do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about the work that we've been doing. Our mission in FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health is to ensure continued access to safe, effective, and, and high-quality medical devices. And we do that by taking a holistic approach to the review of gastroenterology and GI endoscopy medical devices. So within our team, we're evaluating the devices before they come to market, so thinking about the safety and effectiveness of those devices. We're conducting surveillance of the devices as they are in clinical use, and we're also conducting enforcement activities. So in that way, we have oversight of our devices throughout the product's development and, and use. What was it that kind of brought this whole issue to the FDA's attention, and how did the agency approach this issue in the beginning, and, and where do we stand now? I should start by noting that Manufacturers of reusable medical devices are required to develop adequate reprocessing instructions, including validating that those instructions render a device safe for use for patients. And that has always been our stance. And it's been well understood that failure to follow reprocessing instructions can lead to infections. FDA actually back in 2009 issued a safety communication on that topic to remind folks of the importance of following reprocessing instructions. And so I think for a long time that was where things were when it came to reprocessing and infections, that there was this concern that there was a failure to follow reprocessing instructions that was leading to infections. So it was back in the fall of 2013 that the CDC alerted us to an outbreak of infections associated with duodenoscopes in which the healthcare facility was adhering to the reprocessing instructions. So that prompted us to initiate a comprehensive review of available information to better understand how this could happen and what steps needed to be taken. So since that time, we've taken multiple approaches to reduce the risk of infections. We've worked with the device manufacturers to improve their reprocessing instructions, as well as their reprocessing testing, their validation, and how reprocessing information is presented to the user. We've conducted analyses on the designs of these devices and identified areas for improvement. We've worked with firms on voluntary recalls and market withdrawals. 
We've conducted enforcement activities, such as directed inspections and warning letters to ensure that device manufacturers are implementing quality procedures at their facilities. And we've been communicating, partnering with professional societies like the AGA to provide the most up-to-date recommendations based on the available data. And of course, throughout this time, we've also been conducting surveillance, evaluating the adverse event reports submitted by manufacturers, healthcare providers, and even patients. And we've been really gratified to see that reports of infections associated with duodenoscopes have gone down. But to better understand the factors that may play a role in infection transmission associated with duodenoscopes, we required duodenoscope manufacturers to study the devices in the clinical setting in post-market surveillance studies. Got it. So these are, these are what we know as the 522 post-market surveillance studies. Is that correct? That's right. What are the options out there for some of these new innovative designs that, that the FDA has reviewed already? And then what have we learned from the 522 post-market studies of these options? Sure. So when it comes to the types of duodenoscope models that are available, the older models of duodenoscope have what's called a fixed distal end cap, meaning that at the distal end, that rubber or plastic is actually glued to the distal end, whereas the newer models of duodenoscopes have removable components or may be entirely disposable. So by a removable component, that may be a removable distal end where after every use of the device, the distal end cap is simply removed from the device and discarded. And what that does is it allows for greater access to the really hard to clean areas of the duodenoscope, which are particularly around and underneath that elevator. So by removing the cap, it's far easier to be able to get underneath the elevator to actually remove patients. In addition to removable distal end caps, there's also a duodenoscope that has a removable distal end where not only the end cap is removed, but also the elevator itself is part of a single use component that, as you can imagine, also simplifies reprocessing. Instead of having to clean even underneath the elevator, the entire elevator is just discarded. And lastly, there are completely disposable duodenoscopes as well, where the entire patient contacting portion of the device is discarded. So those are the types of options for duodenoscopes that are available right now in the U.S. When it comes to the 522 post-market surveillance studies and, and what we've learned from the studies, the short answer is that these 522 post-market surveillance studies are producing important evidence to help facilities understand how to reduce infections following ERCP. One of the most striking things we've recently learned has been on the device design side. We've got promising indications of significantly reduced contamination on one of the new models of scopes with a removable distal end cap. And we've also learned a lot about potential paths forward to further reduce infection risk. If I can take a step back, the 522 orders were first issued to duodenoscope manufacturers in October of 2015, and they were just recently completely closed out. And we had multiple objectives with those studies. The first was we wanted to understand whether the way in which reprocessing instructions were delivered, meaning the language, the graphics, illustrations in the manual, the training, and so on, whether that information was effectively conveyed to users to promote their understanding of reprocessing steps. Unfortunately, we did find that with those older model duodenoscopes with the fixed distal end caps, there was a high incidence 
of misunderstanding of reprocessing instructions. So since then, duodenoscope manufacturers have conducted a comprehensive human factors evaluation of their newer reprocessing instructions so that their new models of duodenoscopes with disposable components include instructions that better promote user understanding and knowledge of reprocessing instructions. So the second objective of the 522 studies was to determine the real-world contamination rates for duodenoscopes in clinical use to serve as a, a measure of the effectiveness of reprocessing. Two of the companies completed their studies and they found contamination rates as high as 6%. The manufacturers also assessed the root causes for contamination and so as expected errors in following the reprocessing procedure were a problem and certainly contributed to the contamination but they also saw damage to the duodenoscope that could have led to contamination. And that damage was not always immediately obvious. So for example, damaged or missing adhesive around the fixed distal end cap offers crevices that microbes can enter, and those areas of the duodenoscope cannot be adequately reprocessed. So it does require careful inspection to observe that kind of damage, which is also why inspection and regular maintenance is so important for duodenoscopes. What was also surprising for us was the extent of contamination from the environment in the reprocessing and endoscopy areas. So the sink, the storage cabinet, even handling and transport of the duodenoscope potentially contributed to the contamination rate. The, the 522 data suggests that increased care during drying, handling, and storage is an important safety measure. I should also mention that in addition to the completed 522 studies on the older model duodenoscopes with the fixed end caps, as I alluded to, we also mandated 522 studies to evaluate contamination rates in the newer model duodenoscopes with the disposable components. The data are still being captured and it's still early and only one duodenoscope manufacturer has sufficient data to release. However, the interim data for that model shows significantly reduced contamination on the order of 0.5% contamination, which is remarkably good news as compared to the older model duodenoscopes, which had much higher contamination rates. That was a great series of points that you made. It sounds like it's the age-old story, as you alluded to in the beginning, that sometimes it's the cleaning steps that, okay, maybe they're not being followed correctly, but on the other hand, if the cleaning steps are so hard and the reprocessing instructions are easily misunderstood, then maybe it's not so much a problem with the individual personnel, but actually just the process itself is just too much. But then on the scope design side, it sounds like definitely progress with the kind of disposable components, even despite all the attention. One question I have is when they're looking at these rates, like the 6% versus the 0.5%, what method of sampling are they using? It's focused on using the effluent. A few years ago, I want to say 2018, FDA working in conjunction with the CDC and the ASM um, worked as well as other endoscope experts, including the duodenoscope manufacturers, together worked on a protocol for sampling and culturing duodenoscopes. And that protocol is what's used in the 522 study. It essentially involves brushing and flushing the instrument channel as well as the elevator recess of duodenoscopes to collect an effluent that is then sent for microbiological culturing. Okay, great. And then on a similar question, I know that there's work being done and there's guidelines, if you will, the ST, I think 91. And a lot of what you mentioned sounds like it made its way into that document. For example, making sure that the sinks are properly clean and that transport is done in a certain way, that drying is done in a certain way, and that there's a quality assessments, not just from those types of things, but also competency in the human personnel as well. 
Have you seen a lot of progress in that? And is that something that the FDA is following and monitoring? Or is that kind of because they're a different organization, there's not as much overlap? Well, FDA is a member of the working group for that AMI standard that you mentioned, but a lot of the recommendations, both in the AMI document and even the comments that I made about the potential means of contaminating the duodenoscope, they do fall outside of what we view as the device labeling. So certainly the environmental contamination, that really is more of a facility type of issue. But with that said, we do think that it's important to highlight these learnings gleaned from the, the 522 study so that appropriate actions can be taken. I am glad to see that the AMI standard does address the environmental contamination. I think environmental contamination combined with the real need for appropriate drying instructions of endoscopes in general will do a lot towards reducing the risk of contamination and make these devices safer for patients. Got it. So that kind of gets into the next question. Are there other key questions that these 522 studies that you think are not able to answer or they have not yet been answered? Or is it that because of the purview and the purpose and role of the FDA, will it take additional things to explore those issues? There certainly are still ongoing questions. Right now, manufacturers of reusable duodenoscopes are still conducting 522 surveillance studies on the newer models of duodenoscopes, those that have removable components, but where most of the duodenoscope itself is still reprocessed. And we expected those scopes to have a lower contamination rate, and we're certainly pleased to see that at least initially for one model of duodenoscope with removable distal end cap, that is the case. So instead of contamination rates in the 4 to 6% range, as with older model duodenoscopes, the newer model duodenoscopes with removable components have contamination rates in the range of 1% or less. But there is more data to collect, and we do want to understand the impact of device design on contamination and the risk for infection. We also don't have an in-depth understanding of how different reprocessing methods, particularly cleaning methods, might impact reprocessing and the observed contamination rates. So the reprocessing instructions in the 522 studies utilize the instructions in the duodenoscope manufacturer's instruction manual. As you just alluded to, there's a lot of interest in developing more innovative means of cleaning, certainly simplifying the cleaning process. But without a study like one of these sampling and culturing studies, there's uncertainty as to whether those new reprocessing methods might have an impact on the contamination rates. Yeah, it sounds like a tough thing to study because there's multiple factors that are moving and evolving at the same time. By the time you finish the study on one, there might be a different change. And so, for example, there was a recent update to FDA's 2019 safety communication recommending that hospitals and endoscopy centers transition to duodenoscopes with innovative designs like the ones we've mentioned here to help enhance patient safety. Could you tell us about some of the key points from the updated safety communication? Yeah, absolutely. So that safety communication from April 5th, um, 2022, in that communication, the key take-home point is that if you are using an older model of duodenoscope with a fixed distal end cap, it is time to transition to a new model of duodenoscope. And we know this because for the duodenoscopes with removable components, the design of these of those devices with the removable components allows for more effective cleaning. Certainly the interim contamination data that we already have on the one-scope model is significantly reduced as compared to contamination on the older duodenoscope models. 
And the reprocessing instructions and training materials for newer model duodenoscopes is also significantly improved as relates to user performance and knowledge of reprocessing tasks. We certainly understand that this transition takes time, and that is why we began early communication about this transition a couple of years ago. FDA first communicated about beginning planning for the transition in August of 2019. And we're now at the stage where those older model duodenoscopes are no longer marketed. So duodenoscope manufacturers have been offering replacement programs to upgrade fixed end cap duodenoscopes to a model with a disposable component at either no cost or reduced cost. And I'd say that one of the other key points for that communication is that while disposable components on duodenoscopes may not eliminate the risk of infection, they almost certainly do lower the risk. It's also important to recognize and to emphasize that when it comes to reusable duodenoscopes, there is no one activity in isolation that is going to eliminate the infection risk. But when combined with a quality control program that includes reprocessing training, monitoring, certainly careful device inspection and maintenance, as well as surveillance with those newer model duodenoscopes, we think that the risks of infection for patients will be reduced. That's a very insightful point, and I think also just a, a great key takeaway, which is that it sounds like there's no one activity in isolation, as you just said, that will eliminate this problem. There's multiple kind of approaches and angles for hospitals and, and our whole system to take. How has the FDA worked with industry, the CMS, other stakeholders regarding some of these barriers to implementation beyond just the technology now being available and marketed? Economic issues certainly are important, and resources at clinics and other healthcare facilities can be tight. In addition, some gastroenterologists may work within a larger business framework and be constrained in certain decisions. We take seriously our responsibility to provide as much transparency about the issues as possible. Clear communication about the risks, recommendations, and options related to device safety issues can help gastroenterologists and administrators make the best decisions about how to direct precious resources for their practices and ultimately for their patients. We do work closely with our sister agencies when needed as well. So, for example, we may discuss emerging health signals or trends with our colleagues at the CDC, which we certainly did in 2013 and later. And we interact with CMS specialists to be sure that they have accurate information on the devices we authorize when necessary. In general, whether it's with the public or with other stakeholders, good communication is typically key to a good conversation about any issue. I should also note that FDA has also worked with industry on their withdrawal and recall strategies for their older model duodenoscopes. Each firm has implemented trade-in programs for the fixed end-cap duodenoscopes to ease the financial burden of gastroenterologists transitioning to the easier to process safer, disposable end-cap duodenoscope models. In the closing minutes here, a couple of questions about the next steps and the next opportunities. Obviously, there's going to be more data gathering about the changes that we've already made, some of these new designs that are already now being marketed and rolled out. What do you think there's still to learn about this problem? Well, I think we've started unraveling at least some of the key components to address the risk of infection. There are ongoing 522 studies on disposable end cap and disposable tip scopes. And we expect to learn whether the early indications of reduced contamination hold out and whether different models produce similar results. So we are definitely looking forward to getting additional information on those newer model scopes. 
as I mentioned, there are other areas certainly that could be researched, especially when it comes to differences in reprocessing methods. So still a lot to potentially research, although I think that we've made some great headway. Great. And kind of just along that lines, one of the things that I recall from the Amy document, just because I've done studies like this with regards to borescope exams, what's your thinking or the FDA's thinking about the nature of that problem? Is that posing a risk? Yeah. That's a great question. So FDA does monitor the adverse events for a variety of endoscopes, including gastroscopes and colonoscopes. We have not yet seen the types of infections that have been observed with duodenoscopes in the past. But with that said, certainly a lot of the the mitigations that we're talking about would also apply to other types of endoscopes a quality control program, adequate training and resources, surveillance, monitoring, inspection, all of those kinds of activities would certainly apply to other types of endoscopes. Great. And I think one of my last questions, again, a lot of the focus has really been on the tip uh, of the scope, but where do you see additional opportunities to innovate on duodenoscope design to help improve patient safety? Well, I'm, I'm certainly happy to speculate here. And we are anticipating even more innovation in this space. So perhaps there might be a scope with with even more disposable components or components that could be disassembled and maybe aren't necessarily single use in a way that could allow for more effective cleaning. I could imagine a type of device that has an alternative to an elevator to be able to conduct ERCP so that there was no elevator that actually posed a, a risk or a challenge to reprocessing. You know, we might even see duodenoscopes with device materials that are more compatible with terminal sterilization methods to replace high-level disinfection, since terminal sterilization does carry a higher margin for safety than high-level disinfection. There's a world of opportunity here, and we are we at FDA are looking forward to partnering with the clinical and device communities to continue our mission of continued access to safe and effective medical devices for patients in the U.S. Great. I think that's a great closing thought. It sounds like there's been a lot of progress. The FDA obviously plays an immensely important role to getting us where we are here. And it sounds like from what you're telling us, we can be optimistic because we've already seen progress, but there's still opportunity to do more. If no other thoughts, I just want to thank today's guest, Dr. Shani Haugen. And to everyone else for tuning in to today's episode, which is episode one of six in our series on innovation and duodenoscope design. This program was developed by the AGA Center for GI Innovation and Technology and made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Boston Scientific. For additional resources on this topic, please visit us at scopeinnovation.gastro.org. And thank you very much again for everyone's time. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.